Hey everybody, welcome to the Slick Tree Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Langford. The point of this show is to help improve ourselves as dogmen and to raise the quality of the dogs on the end of our lead. So let's settle in, turn the volume up, and let's see if we can't learn a trick or two together from our guests. Turtle. Why did he grit? All right. Well, how you want to start it? Well, I guess we're here today. We're out here on the river, actually. Uh, I'm here with my friend Colby Moorhead. Uh, just to give Colby a little bit of background, if you don't know who he is already, he is the owner of the Bear Hunting Magazine. Uh, Facts. It's a pretty sweet magazine. If you guys aren't getting it, you probably ought to think about it. Um, this is mostly a dog-related podcast. Uh, but one thing about that magazine that doesn't really tell you by the name is they've got an absolute ton of dog hunting stuff. Uh, Double facts. It's a quality magazine for sure. It's Thank a, you. it's full color. My, my, I've got a little boy that's five and he just absolutely loves flipping through there and looking at the pictures of nothing else. And I'd try to read him some stories out of it, but they've got all kinds of recipes or last month's issue had a, a recipe for uh, black bear peppercorn tenderloins with egg noodles, zucchini, peppers, and rice. And I haven't made it yet, but, man, it looks amazing. Yeah, we haven't tried it yet either. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the picture alone made me hope oh, I got fish on. That or I'm hung. Uh, I think you might be hung. Yep, I'm hung. Test the line. Sacrifice the lure. That other rod jumped. Hopefully, uh... We like to multitask. Yeah, we're out here trolling, hope, trying to catch white bass today. I didn't get a chance to pre-fish. So uh, we might not do very good at all. Got that rod in. All right. But they got all kinds of, of course, of stuff on bears. Everything from beginner stuff uh, to help getting going. I personally am still a member of the uh, Less Than One Bear Club. Yeah. Been working on that. This will be my third year trying. Mm-hmm. But they've got everything from beginner to experienced articles. Uh, they've, they've got a series called Becoming a Bear Hunter that I know is, I've benefited from quite a bit. Yeah. That has concluded. I think that uh, last issue had the last yeah, the last article. Yeah, they'll be on the website. But the last issue, talking about dog stuff, they had an article on hound first aid. They had another one on ting guidelines for picking a puppy. Uh, they had another bear hunting article that ended with a hunt in taking a bear named Houdini over hounds, yep. which was a pretty exciting article. I'm going to hunt with him here in September, that outfitter. Yeah. Yeah. And they have a recurring article. Uh, that's named Legendary Bear Hounds, where I believe every issue they pick either a hound. Yeah, it's usually a, I mean, it's a hound. That column's written by Stephen Fielder, Steve Fielder. He's been on a couple different podcasts. Right now he does the Gone to the Dogs podcast, but he's been, his dogs have been his world. And so he's been part of a lot of the different kennel clubs and and uh, stuff like that. So he's really, he's really tied in and, and deep in it. Those are some uh, complicated stories to write because you really need somebody to write them that knows, like, no, that can track lines and has mm-hmm. uh, an awareness of the different lines and breeds, and he uh, he does a great job. They can get a little technical sometimes just because of all the pedigrees. Yeah. Yeah. And another big thing that I love about the magazine is how you guys are on the guard the gate principle. Yeah, and really pioneers, truly the pioneers of the guard gate principle. You want you want to talk on that a little bit? Yeah, that came out of a podcast we did. I think we did it with uh, James Brandenburg from the Arkansas BHA, and it was it was kind of one of those things where we were just he had never, I think at that point he had never bear hunted or killed a bear, and he was just curious, and so we had him on the podcast, and he asked questions and everything, and that just came out of it. You know, like we started talking about how bears are the the entryway that anti-hunting groups attack hunting, you know, and that it's the thing in their crosshairs right now. And I mean, if you watch uh, the news and litigation and what's going on in different politics in different states, especially states like Washington uh, right now, Vermont deals with a lot of stuff too, and in uh, Oregon some, you'll just you'll see that there really is an attack on bears and what they're doing is they're going in and trying to take out bear hunting and our rights to hunt with different methods just to hunt in general they got rid of the spring season in washington last year i think it was 
so I mean that's the thing that they're chipping away at you know uh, they're really coming at hunting with uh, it's a death by a thousand cuts and so they're trying to to make it so at first they're coming after predator hunting I mean in the long run if you get rid of predator hunting you uh, come to a point to where you don't really have a high population of ungulates either because they're so hard on like you know calving fawns mm-hmm. and all of that and so it's one of those things like you really have to guard the predator hunting specifically the bear hunting so that you don't i mean just to protect everything i mean and once they chip away at bear hunting like if they're successful in that then who knows what they'll go for next it's like well why do you need to kill an elk or when do you why do you need to kill a, a mule deer and eventually they'll get down well why do you need to kill a whitetail yeah <laughs> you know yeah for sure it seems like they definitely go after hounds trapping and then the predator hunting like you said yeah you know hounds are a part of it and a lot of it is just not understanding and most people are not anti-hunter most people are in the middle and don't have any anything that they identify with regarding hunting and so we're not really out there trying to convince anti-hunters people that are strongly against it to you know come in and support it or it's like you're really trying to make sure that the people in the middle ground are okay with us having the right to hunt and not go over to being against us you know with guarding the gate is a lot of it is just like treating people the way that you want to be treated and just being kind and and some of it is optics you know like what you post how you post it how you portray things everybody you know we always want to do a grip and grin but there's tactful ways to do it and there's ways that are that seem disrespectful to the animal so we just got to protect those things absolutely i feel like ignorance is a because like you were saying about we're not out to change the minds of anti-hunters because that yeah. that mindset's kind of like saying that the anti-hunter, if their goal, if they talk to us, is they're not. there's nothing that's going to come out of their mouth that's going to convince us that to not be hunters anymore. Yeah. You're not going to change the anti-hunter's mind more than likely. Yeah. And some of them are just they had one bad experience with the hunter and they assigned it as a stereotype for all of them. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of people that it's... I would call it ignorance, not in the degrading means of the terms, but the like the more the true definition of the term, just a lack of knowledge. Yeah, an unawareness. A lot of people's first idea, especially like when it comes to trapping, most people haven't been around it. Yeah, they have. They've they've never interacted with it. It's extremely difficult. Yeah, to to go out and trap a coyote. <laughs> I'm gonna get that critter to step on this exact spot the way that I want them to. Right. <laughs> and most people's closest experience they've had to trapping is watching uh fox and the hound and the, yeah. the fox runs through the little draw and 27 traps snap off and that's their experience with trapping unfortunately yeah you got to be careful taking your cues from talking critters yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah anthropomorphized critters might not be the best place to get your information yeah no it's uh it's one of those things where you just have to be aware of context one thing i realized is i wasn't raised telling stories or you know giving people a lot of context whenever I would tell things and so or tell a story and that's one thing that I'm having to to work on I think we all have to work on just being able to make sure that we think about context because there's a lot of things that we take for granted just growing up inside of the life that we did I mean I was growing up we ran hounds all the time like we ran coons we ran hogs and so I have an understanding of that thing. So bear hunting with hounds, I'm like, yeah, whenever I found out that it was a thing. Uh, or running lines with hounds, you know, that sounded great to me. Mm-hmm. But it's because I had some sort of context for what it, what value comes from hound hunting. And a lot of people, like, more often than not, don't have any connection to that. So whenever you portray things, you have to do it in a way almost like you're talking to a child, where you're like, this is why we do this this is why we Mm -hmm. do that you know like and so there you just can't put stuff out there that would just be cool to your buddies (laughs) you know yeah Uh, another thing i think we really need to houndsmen get a bad rap even inside the hunting world because unfortunately just like any other any other thing there's there's people that drive around poach deer out of windows with spotlights Mm -hmm. there's bad apples in every group it seems like a lot of people have been rubbed wrong by a houndsman at some point or another well, and the thing is, is there's infighting between all the different hunters, especially, I mean, like if you're a hardcore walker, tree and walker guy, and then you come and there's a guy that's a hardcore plot guy or or somebody else like blue, likes blue dogs, 
there's a little bit of infighting and and stuff even between like front hounds there's people that like you see it on facebook all the time and a lot a lot of times it sees uh older characters but it's like they believe strongly that their way is the right way and i think that that's something that we have to actively come against because really if you think about it that's a sort of ignorance because anytime that you think you've got something completely figured out and there's no other way typically you're wrong (laughs) oh yeah so we'll post a we do it all sorts of ways we hunt bears and well we hunt all critters all different ways but we posted a picture of like how to build a bait barrel and there's a thousand different ways that you can do it and people have their preferred method and obviously people thought we were wrong and some people thought it was great and Mm -hmm. i mean there's always trolls and haters that are going to come out that's the type of attitude that if you're infighting and the, and you're not for all different types of hunters and all methods, this thing could go away. And because it's, we're divided, it's just so dangerous. I mean, I mean, if you like to hunt, you should support all legal methods of hunting, Absolutely. like regardless. There's, we just can't afford to do it any other way. Oh, I think that's what about roughly 10% of the population actually hunts. Yeah. And so whenever you think about it on a ballot initiative, like we. Uh-huh we lose every time if it's if it's just straight vote off only hunters like like hunting i tuned in to when missouri was passing their bear season so a few years back missouri decided to bring on a limited draw bear hunt uh, inside the state for residents there was a super small percentage maybe like two percent of the calls that because they were saying we had this many calls this many were against this many were for and the against was like 90 something percent against in reinstating or bringing in a bear season luckily they're that group in missouri is more about the science than they are the public outcry or whatever i don't know outcry is the right word but they were following sound science and they know that emotions can't be a part of it a part of the decision and they went ahead and and sent the legislation through they were able to reinstate a bear season for missouri which was a huge win for us, but it doesn't really feel like we really showed up or did a lot for that. And inside of that scenario, like, you would have needed to be a Missouri resident and, and call in to the department, the DNR, or whatever the Missouri uh, Wildlife Agency is calling. I mean, we're just not very vocal. And I think we take for granted that things are just going to be there and think, and the right decisions are going to be made, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But really, I mean, something as simple as an email or a or a phone call goes a long way and there's even like how for wildlife you can keep your eye on them and see what legislation's coming up and you know you can send emails through them and i think it randomizes the subject line and the things that are said inside of it but something as simple as that is you making some sort of effort mm-hmm. you know yeah i think they actually talked about that how for wildlife in that last episode becoming a bear hunter yeah oh yeah doug bose yeah, it's a it's a good thing. There's also different bear groups, so for different states that you're in, there's different black bear groups. So like Wisconsin's the big one, you know, the Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association. There's the Michigan Bear Hunters Association, West Virginia, North Carolina. I mean, those are the ones that we deal with, and I'm sure there's others as well. But those different hunting groups, there's something cool about a conservation group that's actually doing the work. If you ever need a model, that Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association has been very successful in getting their voices heard and standing against things that come against bear hunting and specifically hound hunting. That's the thing that a lot of these states are coming up. It happens in the polls, too. You know, you got to watch who you put in into the seat. So the biggest problem in Washington is the governor because the governor controls who he puts on that board that makes the decisions. And he's the one that controls the nominations and everything. That's one instance to where yeah, we need to get the right guy in the, or the right person, the high seat inside of different states. There's a lot going on in Arizona too. I mean, there's just attacks everywhere. You can't keep up with it. California, just pick some of these. And they're, they're mainly like democratic states, mm-hmm. the blue states. There's a strong correlation. Definitely. <laughs> I'm not saying you should go out and vote any particular way other than just look who has policies that align with what your desire is, what you want to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were actually planning on doing this podcast last week. Yeah. And uh, we had a we had a little bit of a situation that, that arose while we were trying <laughs> yeah. to get yeah. stuff ready to do it. Yeah. I want to hear your perspective. Well, I volunteered to go down and help. Oh, we got 
I'm not sure if that's a fish or if I'm hung. It's a little bit difficult to <laughs> keep us on track and do everything else. Not can't really watch the graph and watch the brush piles trolling over <laughs> yeah. while we're talking, but that's all right. <laughs> so I volunteered to come down and help you pack some bear bait in. Yeah. On your bear bait site. Thank you. And yeah, it was a it was a workout for sure. Yeah. You never know what kind of work goes into different types of hunting. Well, some guys, I mean, they do a lot of work to get the bait, and they have to go regularly. But some baits you can just pull the truck up to, and that is a luxury. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people's first impression whenever they think about baiting bears, especially ignorance mm-hmm. is bliss, and that they, oh, well, that maybe that's unfair. I'm telling you right now, it is a workout. I do, yeah. not, I do not envy you <laughs> for going and doing that twice, sometimes yeah. three times a week. Once I recover, I'll be, be stout, though. <laughs> right, right, better than any gym membership. Yeah. I keep meaning to go cancel that. But I hadn't seen a bear in the woods before, and I'd let you know that whenever yeah. we were driving down and on the way. And so you formulated a plan that whenever we got there, we'd just kind of be quiet, mm-hmm. slip down there, see if we couldn't get me to spot That's a, a fish. That's a fish right there. See if we couldn't get me to see a bear. Well, we got about halfway down there. Oh, did he come off? I had a fish. I think he might have came off. Yep. So, so we end up jumping a bear about halfway to the bait and got to see him run off through the timber and like, sweet. Yeah. Got to see a bear. Totally worth the price of admission for the trip. <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's pack some bait. So we walked back up to the truck, went, and I was bent over and had my pack. Yeah, getting our packs ready. Was putting a feed sack in it and getting it all lashed down and tight. And I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but it didn't even process in my mind. You said something to the effect of, hey, that, there's that bear. Yeah. Not being used to being in bear country or being around bears. Like, it didn't even process. It kind of like slapped me like, oh, bears. Yeah, bears. Yeah. Turn around, there's a bear about 20 yards from us just Come, coming staring up at us. the same trail we just came up. I mean, he knew we were there. He yeah. was following us. Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly what I was expecting, but cool to actually get to see him up close. <laughs> it was kind of just a, a black flash video. the first time. Yeah. So we started watching him, and he kind of circled the truck, and we were talking to him. He didn't mm-hmm. care we were there. No. Came within f- sub-15 yards. Yeah. Just sat down, licking himself, scratching, chilling, yeah. laying down. <laughs> <laughs> And so we decided that we probably better get him ran off a little bit. And he, he mock charged us a little bit. Yeah, he bluffed. He gave us a little bluff charge. Oh, Colby, I think you might have a, a fish. You were either bumping bottom. He could have been bumping bottom. We're, we're only about five foot now. Oh, okay. Could have been bottom. But, yeah, he kind of kind of gave us a wolf and three or four uh, kind of charge steps at us, checking us out. Yeah. That's a fish. Yeah, there yep, we go. There he is. All right, live action. Oh, oh, he's 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 a jumper. It's a beautiful day on the river. I know that much. Uh-huh. Feels good out here. Where is he at? We did end up getting that bear ran off, sort of. We got him, I don't know, 70, 80 yards from the truck, but he just wasn't running off out of the country before it was all said and done. Yeah, I went back and watched the video. Is that a largemouth? We don't catch a whole lot of those here. Don't really target them anyways. I'm sure they're in here. There you go. All right. Well, I've got to document this. Nice little pound, pound and a half or so large mouth, maybe. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Put a scale on him if we wanted to. <laughs> or we can call him whatever we want. <laughs> Out here ripping lips. Mm-hmm. I barely hooked him. Yeah. Oh, I got him on the second one. Well, that'll work. How about that? You know, and I I was like, he's going to break into my truck. Mm-hmm. Just he know called it. it. Yeah. No, so that bear was just sitting there and, like, chilling. And it's we- it's odd that he's acting this way around us at the truck. Around a bait site, that kind of stuff will happen, you know, because they associate you with, like... Yumminess. You know, you're yeah, you're bringing them their buffet. You know, you're just coming in. You're, you're not a bad thing in the forest at that point in time. Like, around a bait site, like, that behavior isn't as alarming as, oh, he actually came up here followed us to the truck and he's just going to chill here until we leave and then he's probably going to break into my truck and so we have to run him off i went back and watched the video and i don't know if he bluff charged me once because i don't see it on the footage but i say don't you bluff charge me and then he he comes at me like two yards or so you know just to see if i would give ground yeah it'd be sketchy i mean like if i'd be a little timid and so it's like Nope. <laughs> Ain't what happened. I went ahead and decided to grab the, the bear spray just in case. I mean, the the thing is, is typically black bears are real scaredy creatures. Like, 
they're not really going to do anything crazy around people. They're more scared of you than you are of them. Mm-hmm. Typically, that's how it goes. Well, it's not how it went this time. He was pressing us and seeing if we would give in. And I imagine he gets beat up quite a bit. I guess we probably ought to detail what size we think the bear was. I mean, he was over Every bit of 500 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) He's over 100, uh, less than 200. He was probably, I don't know, I mean, I would say like 130 or something. Uh, he wasn't huge, but... Big enough to make you nervous that they're sitting there at 12, 13 yards. I mean, a lot of guys would be happy with killing a bear like that in some areas, you know. And on public land, if I got an opportunity at a bear like that... This is me raising my hand. Yeah. One of those guys right here. <laughs> Man, on public land, that would be a bear that I would be grateful for and happy for, you know. But over bait, the reason that you bait is not to make it easy. The reason you bait is you want to go after a older age class animal, you know, especially mm-hmm. in like this heavy timber and stuff. You're going in and you're intentionally targeting a larger animal. Have a chance to be more selective. Yeah. Better management tool. Yeah, and you just want to get those older ones out and let the young ones do their thing and grow up. And so, plus you get more meat, you get more fat. It's just better all around. Mm -hmm. It's like, why do you kill a big buck? Because he's got more meat. (laughs) (laughs) He covers more wall. They're they're, they're cool. They're they're cooled. I don't don't feel like there's anything wrong with admitting that, you know what, it is cool to kill a big buck. Yeah. But at the same time, there is a lot more meat on one. Yeah. (laughs) We chase it off, and... uh, what I do is I just I pick up a rock and pitch it and see how he responds. He jumps back, it startles him a little bit, and then I go to pressing. He probably would have just gone off. Let He would have let me get a lot closer before he would have backed off. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would have ever gotten after us, but there's always a chance. Once you think you have them figured out, they do something crazy. We go down, and before we leave, I'm like, he's going to break into my truck. And so I lock the doors, and typically I leave the windows down, the back of the truck's open, and... I'm removing everything that will break my momentum going back and forth. Has that changed your uh, personal practice? I don't know. Probably not. Once I get a few away from that experience, I'm doing it now. And that bear actually was back, but he was down at the bait this time. We had to push him off a couple times, I think three times. But uh, we went down with the first round of baiting, came back up. My bed cap had been brute forced open. And I'd locked the driver's side and just closed the, and then just rotated the other side and just latched it. Well, that bear had scratched once around the side that I not locked the passenger side. He had opened it, just barely a scratch. Well, then he scratched all around the driver's side latch that was locked and couldn't mm-hmm. get it open. And then he just scratched along the side, you know, the bottom of it, and eventually was able to get his claw in and rip it up. And then there was a scratch around the driver's side door handle well then you spot him out there in the woods and he took off like there was a 50 pound bag of dog food missing we're like he's not getting away with that so take off after him and get the dog food back it was a pretty wild day it was one of the wildest days of baiting or the wildest day of baiting i've ever had just a bear like at the truck I just know that I went from never seeing a bear to being up close and personal (laughs) real real quick and in a hurry yeah (laughs) yeah but we end up, what did we pack down? About 450 or so pounds of bait? A piece. <laughs> Man, it was a workout. It That's, was a lot. I don't know how many trips we made, but it was a lot. Trucker at 103 degrees whenever we got back to it, and that was even yeah. in the shade under yeah. the canopy. And then every time you come timber. back, you got to, like, wrangle the keys, you unlock everything, mm-hmm. get it all on, then you got to lock it back. It really killed our time. Like, we had it planned out to where we were going to be able to do a lot that day. Yeah. And then just that one thing happened. and Well, that on top of the heat, it was just hard. This last time I went, it was like 84. It was a lot better. Sounds great. Yeah. I wasn't dead at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a cool time. And then this last time, I had to push him off several times of the bait. He didn't want to leave. You know, he wasn't waiting for us to, to go back Was he coming back forth. every trip? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The... After the third trip, uh, we he eventually went down a hill and out of sight and stayed gone. So, are you part of the group that named your critters that no. you that you're hunting and get to know? I don't feel like I'm that creative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to tell them apart too. A lot of times, like they'd have that to have some defining. Name. Yeah, he's the one that's always at the bait pot when you show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm calling him Smokey because he's a bandit. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. Every time we come across like a little opening, am I going to see something back in there in the shade? Maybe. I wish we had bears up here. Get an occasional sighting in the area. Yeah. Well, about once a year or so, but yeah. nothing as far as... Uh, I mean, a deer or turkey, like something. It's bound to happen. Yeah. So you're pretty well prepped up for what's looking like hopefully a pretty good bear season for you. <laughs> yeah. We got some goodens. Got yeah. some goodens on cam. It's crazy. They're eating me out of house and home. I, I didn't expect it to, this bait site to light up just as heavy as it did. I thought, oh, I'll have some bears on there, but I mean, they're just absolutely hammering it. I mean, really, like it's, it's becoming a really expensive thing this time. <laughs> you know, I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know, next year I'm just going to wait until like the beginning of September if they keep it the same way. And I'll do like a 13 day bait instead of you know i did a full month um as soon as they said we could start baiting i was like chomping at the bit i was getting out there get it out there yeah you know the thing is you just don't want it to uh bait site to go dry once you have bears coming to it and there's a lot of guys that run hounds off of baits they'll run they'll have a bait site not with the intention of hunting that bait site but they'll they'll have a bait site set up they'll go in they'll check for maybe have a cam on it a trail camera but they'll go in and they'll look for larger bear tracks and so that way that they can go out there and target the specific animal that they want to pursue mm-hmm. and so they put the hounds on that track go after a specific bear and so that's a that's something that some guys are really successful in doing so if you're lucky enough to get a bear this fall what are your plans for the hide i know you plan to pretty well utilize just about every part of it Man, but anything I'm, special about the hide you're wanting to do with it just I'm, out of curiosity i'm probably just going to do john hayes is a taxidermist up in montana that advertises with us in the magazine he's just world class but uh he does a flat faced bear rug that just looks awesome flat-faced yeah he just folds it over in a way where you can still see the character in the face i got you but it's just flat it doesn't have that mold inside of it that sounds really cool yeah so you can hang it on a wall drape it over something or put it on the floor oh cool you know that's that's one thing that's always kind of been ironic to me is a lot of people that push for the Mm anti-fur they they claim to be trying to help the environment Mm -hmm. typically but yeah. they're wanting to replace fur with mostly plastic yeah. synthetics yeah. that, if you throw in the ditch, will never never degrade. Never degrade and yeah. will be there in 100 years. Never decompose. They're wanting to replace a completely natural, environmentally friendly product. It did It did a lot of harm because if you think about it from an ecological perspective, now we're overrun with small predators. The mesopredators. Yeah. And so now we're overrun with coons, you know, possums. Which possums, I don't think we're ever part of the real fur trade, but I mean, like you really need to take out some coons, man. Like mm-hmm. they hurt, they hurt turkey populations bad. Turkey, you know? quail, everything's supposed to be in balance, and you know we can't truly have nature's not going to balance itself anymore. Not since we have so much urban sprawl. You know, there's no not really a lot of unfragmented wilderness. A lot of people, I feel like, want to think that well, we should man should stay out of monitoring wildlife because well that's not a natural system but mm-hmm. i mean if you if you look at the the archaeological record man has been here on this continent for as long as white-tailed deer have been yeah like, we are part of yeah you know the cool thing is is they keep learning more and more about history it's like we don't even know the depth of our connection to this place as a, as a species you know mm-hmm. they, there's a new theory coming out every day yeah. <laughs> it seems like and so they don't really know i mean even like all the speculations over like the Egyptian pyramids and like all these huge land features that are older than old. The more that they find out, and the more that they find, they just realize they don't know anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you just look at the architecture of life, like pretty much life comes from death. All life is sustained by death, whether it's death of vegetation, death of a animal. Like life is designed to go on, but it's through the the death of other things or the you know, consumption of other things. I mean, if you just look at the architecture of that as a as a principle, it's like we're designed to live off of of dead things. <laughs> you know, I've got another buddy of mine that I sold a pup to. That's we were talking the other day about like Adam was the first conservationist. Yeah, he put a he lesson together uh-huh. <laughs> with that being the premise of it. It was pretty good. Whenever we had yeah we had a chat about it the other night. Uh huh. Sweet. <laughs> Man, I just love these dramatic drop offs. Yeah, it's a they're uh, so cool. It's a really beautiful part of the river that. That we're lucky enough to live on. We're trolling along. How tall do you think that bluff is, Colby? 40 feet? At least, I think. Big white and gray rock bluff. If you count what's underwater, it's probably... 
Oh, 65. <laughs> yeah. Man, it's cool, though. I think that's the thing I love about hunting and fishing is you getting you get into spots where you where you would never ever experience this otherwise. Yeah. You know, I'm not motivated by going and just doing fun things on the water here and there. I just, you know, I want to be able to take something out, yeah. <laughs> take something back home. Not much of a bird watcher as much as a bird eater. Yeah. Well, you know, I like for I like the utility of things, and so like even uh. Even buying Christmas presents, I've always been practical. Like, I want to buy something that you'll actually use. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm the same way when I go do stuff outdoors. It's like, well, I want to go after something that's going to, like, be practical for a longer period of time. And so, what's better than big game? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do quite a bit of wild mushroom picking. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty big on that. Man, we uh, we were in bear camp last year, and I had killed my bear. And one of the guides was talking about how good uh, bear heart is. And so... We had been foraging morels all week. We were there at the perfect time for morels. You know, he wasn't expecting it, and so we had, like, we would be filling up, you know, Coke can boxes and mm-hmm. stuff, just filling them up with morels. He cooked bear heart with morel, oh. morel mushrooms, and it was one of the best things I've ever put in my mouth. Like, it was just so good. Man, that sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of people ask me, like, oh, well, when do you go mushroom hunting? I'm like, oh, it's really more of a bycatch for me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Usually I'm out walking a pup or something and stumble yeah. on a mushroom. Uh-huh. It, or I'd be out squirrel or coon hunting and, and, and find a mushroom. Oh, man, I'd just soon eat a chanterelle or, yeah. woods or chicken in the woods. Well, I haven't had experience with the other mushrooms. Like, yeah. my entrance was morels up in Canada, but it was it was some good stuff. I like the ones that are bright colored. <laughs> oh yeah i like the ones that are bright orange <laughs> jump out at you yeah you can spot them yeah i couldn't look, find them like look like a little flag sitting yeah. over there man i couldn't find them he was finding them left and right yeah yeah i'll stumble on some turkey hunting or something every once in a while but i don't really go out just looking yeah. for morels i never turn one down if i'm around a fish <laughs> camp or something and somebody walks up with a handful we'll fry them right up yeah i don't know is there anywhere that you can run turkeys with with dogs anymore i know back in the day they did it a lot I want to say they're somewhere out Pennsylvania, maybe. Pennsylvania. That'd be a oh, fun experience. I want to say a lot of them use, like, uh, Brittany's. Oh, uh, really? But they, what they try to do is they, from my understanding of it, I, I don't know that much about it, but they basically will try to find a flock of turkeys and they'll go try to flush it with a bird oh, dog. Oh, gotcha. And once they get the birds all separated and broke up from their flock, yeah. they'll basically run right up in the middle of it, sit down, have their dog sit next to them, and... Or, uh-huh. Call them back. Call back to locate to yeah. try to be part of the flock that's coming back together is their yeah. strategy. Yeah. I think that's more of a fall tactic. Man, that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was legal. Right. I hardly ever see that many turkeys anyway, so. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're definitely down. That's another thing entirely. There's a few around, but I'm really a late-life onset turkey hunter, which we didn't really have Me turkeys in this, in this area. I don't think I was probably 18 or 19 years old before I saw my first wild turkey. Yeah. Man, the first turkey I killed, so I mean like we didn't hunt much because there just wasn't many turkeys. I was watching I was watching Saturday morning cartoons and uh, all of a sudden my dad busts in. He's like, get your camo. Get your gun. Like, Let's go. <laughs> and so about a mile from the house, a lone tom crossed the road and my dad saw it and instead of going after it himself, he came and got me. And so I went from watching Bugs Bunny to <laughs> to turkey hunting in like five minutes. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it worked out anyway. So yeah. Just calling back in. Man, we we just snuck out. We walked into the woods probably 30 yards or 40 yards where we were far enough from the road. Started calling, and he worked in. I mean, it, mostly we had must have just gotten to where he just couldn't see us because, I mean, like he was right on us at once we started calling. So it was a pretty awesome experience. I still remember, like, how it resonated in my chest whenever he would gobble. Yeah, it's always going to be a special moment in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going over a hump right here, I was hoping we might pick something else up on the rods. I'd like to take this little point in time to really give you a big thank you. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be sitting here in a boat recording a podcast, which, of course, I wouldn't be sitting in a boat right <laughs> yeah, now yeah, yeah. recording a podcast if it wasn't for you. But yeah. just all the, the help you've helped me with between picking out gear and yeah and kind of used you as a sounding board on just about everything to do with this so far and they don't call me the bear tech for nothing i really appreciate the help man you're welcome so you started when we were on our bear baiting trip you started telling me that story about your lynx hunt oh yeah I'm, yeah i'm gonna have to make you finish that for me man that was a 
great, great experience. I went on a lynx hunt up in British Columbia with Buddy Woodbury from DU. Man, it was just great. It was around the time that there was all that flooding in BC, so I think we were originally it wasn't going to be like that terrible of a drive, but then it ended up being a 20 plus hour one-way drive just because we had to go cross the border in a different spot and it was during the heat of covid so that was fun (laughs) it was not long after they started letting people cross the border but you had to like give all this documentation i think you're hung i think you're right oh yep both hung nope i got a fish i think it was jerking i'm hung you got a fish yeah i got a fish I'm going to start the big motor and back up to mine. I can't lose three shad wraps a day. Go broke. <laughs> Boy, this thing feels... Oh, Ooh, that's, a, that's a drum. Gasper goo. It's a what? Gasper goo. What's that? That's a drum. Oh, okay, that's I was right. Drum. That's a pretty good <laughs> drum, though. Yeah, boy, he's fighting. I don't know the best way to grab a drum. I'll just when it's hooked like swing him in the boat. That line ought to hold him. You ever cut one of these open? I haven't. I know they got a, a stone in their head, but I have never they got never extracted it from them. Yeah, they got two white ones. Pretty cool. My dad used to do it when we were kids. It's the first time I ever caught one on a on a rod and reel. We catch them bycatch pretty pretty regular between throwing jigs for crappie and white bass, and don't catch them trolling very often. There's a set of pliers right there next to you if you need them. Yeah, I think I will. Boy, he wasn't going anywhere. About swallowed this thing. There we go, got mine back. Ooh. Let's see. Do you have any narrower pliers? Yeah, I got another pair right here. Yeah. I'm doing surgery here. You gonna get him freed? Yeah, there it goes. The precision of a surgeon. Not even bleeding or nothing. I'm impressed. Ow. That hurt. Did you? Yeah. Come on. Alright. Uh, oh, he's drummy. Yeah. Look at that sucker. I wonder if that's where I got the term. <laughs> yeah, they'll call them Gasper Goose. Yeah, we just always called them drums. Well, they're they're nice white flaky meat. Oh, really? Yeah. We've never eaten one. Yeah. I feel like I'm messing with them today. I'd be up for trying one sometime, though. Yeah, I'm going to have to get you back over here and do some bow fishing Man, sometime. Man, I want to bow fish so bad. It's not the time, but... You should have jumped in my boat with me whenever you're up here this spring fishing with my brother because we were on the buffalo. Oh, man. Buffalo they ribs are thick. so good. They were thick, which a lot of it's just hitting the water clarity is a big thing. Oh, really? When yeah. it's just clear? Hard to shoot them when you can't see them. <laughs> yeah. But you guys just do it in the day. You don't ever go at night. Yeah, which I plan on building a set of lights for this boat. Uh, two boats ago, I had full light set. Yeah. We used to go a lot. That was a little bit pre-children. Yeah. All right. So, so we're heading up British Columbia, and we're way north British Columbia. It's a uh, like FedEx and UPS won't even like deliver up there. <laughs> and so, I got selected for a random draw to get do a COVID test after I crossed the border, and that was a whole to do. You had to like do a video chat with some official, and they watch you do it. They watch you seal it, and then. FedEx is supposed to come and pick it up, right? Mm-hmm. Well, FedEx won't come. <laughs> yeah. And so the outfitter, he was like, well, they said just put it on the porch, so just put it on the porch. He's like, they're not going to come pick it up, but we'll do what they say. <laughs> and so we uh, did our test and made it out out to the outfitter, put it on the porch, and, I mean, it would have frozen. I mean, it was so cold. They had a lot less snowfall than they're used to, and so the snowfall was a lot, I mean, a lot less. They hadn't had snow in a while. They hadn't hadn't had any fresh powder. Finding lynx tracks was really difficult, (laughs) you know, and the ones that we did find, you know, they were really old. So we really needed some fresh powder. So we still hunted. We had snow machines, and we tried to ride them the first day, and it was just too rough. And so we changed our tactics. We would just go cast some hounds out. You know, we weren't really having any luck. And the thing that we learned, there's a lot of stuff we learned about lynx. For one, they just don't have a, much, they don't leave much scent. So, like, a lion just stinks. Bobcat has, you know, 
some scent too, like compared to a lynx it stinks too. Uh, but a lynx just doesn't leave much of a scent profile behind for the hounds to pick up on. So you got to have a dog with a good nose to track them even in the snow. The other thing that was difficult on this hunt is we had uh, wet and dry conditions. So when you when you were, you could go from wet in the open to into some dry underneath like just thick vegetation, and it would really throw them off. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the dogs would want to come back the other way because the scent smelt fresher on the snow than it did out there on the dry so there was a lot of things to overcome (laughs) the other thing is is we learned that lynx go out there and they make a hundred different i mean they run in circles like like tight circles and uh it's it's pretty wild to see the tracks that a lynx will make like they'll they'll make big circles they'll make like little circles inside of the big circles and typically a lynx race is at least an hour from jump and the outfitter even said that those links will go out there they will uh, oh there's a bunch of fish on the graph it wouldn't surprise me if you caught one. Oh, lost it so the other thing about links is they will there's a lot of blowdowns up there and those links will go run through a blowdown they'll go sit on a perch and then they'll watch the dogs chasing them like because those hounds are watching their tracks when the hounds get too close for comfort, they'll take off again. But they'll take a break, sit up on a perch, and just watch the watch the hounds working through the blowdown. It's really interesting critters. Hmm. Had some drama here and there. We uh, had a brake line pop on top of the mountain. Uh, one of the links of chain caught it and just popped it off. We had issues with, like, keys getting locked in a truck. And what was the other thing? Uh, snowmobile overheating, breaking down just like things mm-hmm. and so it was day four and we hadn't had any success getting on a cat yet the other thing was there's a lot of wolves in the area so we were real it's tough on dogs yeah we were real nervous about the wolves and so we would when we saw a track we would go to the closest roads we could find and see like if they went in if they went out of a certain patch so we had to be real careful with the wolf situation but day four all of a sudden we're driving and Buddy looks out, he's like, man, that's a good cat. And the outfitter was in the passenger seat, and he's like, nah, that's a rabbit. He's like, Buddy's like, I'm telling you, right here is a cat track. And so the outfitter got out, walked around, looked. He's like, boy, that's a good cat. <laughs> and so we put the dogs out, and they hit the track, and then they start running parallel to the road. So the the chase is going the opposite way, uh, like they're tracking the opposite way of where the truck's pointing, so... And go, buddy drives down to go down and turn the truck around. By the time he gets back, I'm like, their bark changed. And he's like, so they were jumped. I mean, that fast, just jumped. They had that cat treed within five minutes of us turning it out. Like, it was the fastest wow. the fastest run that that outfitter's ever seen. Five minutes, like, they were treed. And we'd had several slick trees, and so we were like, man, I hope it's not a slick, another slick tree. What did they think was happening on the slicks? The cat huh? was going up the tree, the dogs were training on it, but the cat was like climbing out and jumping out before the dogs got there? I was just not sure. Yeah. You know, we also think that maybe some of the dogs were getting bored because <laughs> no cat. <laughs> I've seen them do that you before. You know, so, but we uh, drove cl- as close as we could and then walked out there, and I mean, it was a great big one. <laughs> we were super pumped because it had been four days of hard hunting, a lot of turnouts, and nothing to show for it. Uh, we had a ghost cat. We call it a ghost cat. Like it was, the hounds were on it, and it came right behind where the truck was. There was a paw print in the road, in the middle of the road, and then nothing. Like we looked everywhere and couldn't find, pick up the next track. Just disappeared. Just disappeared. We've had a lot of highs and lows. <laughs> so <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, man, I feel like hope was hard to come by at that point yeah. in time. <laughs> We got fresh snow the the third night, so we were hoping to be in the chips. Anyways, we go out there, big cat in the tree, big big male Tom. And Buddy's like, if you don't shoot that cat, I'm going to shoot it. And the outfitter was like, if you don't, not one you shoot that cat, I'm taking that cat. Because it was just a toad, man. Like, it's huge. And so, shot, the, shot it down, and I mean, just a huge, huge cat, man. Huge lynx. He said the outfitter told me later that he is probably one of the top five links they had ever taken, and he's been 
outfitting and guiding mostly his whole life. His dad had the outfit beforehand, and I think he's, I think he had had it for like thirty something years. Yeah, man, just so cool. It was just so cool. Yeah, such a great experience. That's one of the things that, like we were talking about, guard the gate. I want to have these different experiences so I understand them. And I feel more connected to Lynx now. Like, I would have never had any connection to Lynx. Mm-hmm. And nothing makes sense, but I appreciate them so much now. Like, I have a connection to them. I just carry them in a different way, you know. And I think that's a thing that we have to carry is just knowing that just because we might not be for something or not, people need the right to go after the stuff that, that they want to pursue mm-hmm. because they have a connection to it that you don't. You know, they have... A, a lot of history, a lot of cultural connections to them that you want. And so before, I would have never thought, oh, I I really want to make sure that lynx hunting is a thing. It's protected. <laughs> yeah. I remember in elementary school, probably the third or fourth grade, I remember I had this deck of cards that was animals on the endangered species list, and one of them was, was lynx, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And I was like, I'm hunting this thing, and I, I feel kind of... I feel kind of bad for doing it, but they got links everywhere up there, you yeah. know. I just saved a bunch of rabbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the links looks huge in the photos. Like, people would be like, man, was that like 80 pounds or like 60 pounds? or Showed whatever. me its hide the other day. I would have guessed it more than what you said it was. Yeah, yeah. 27 pounds, you know, and like they start a lynx that's like 14 pounds. Like that's kind of, you know, that 13, 14 pound range is when they start wanting to take a lynx. And a 20-pound lynx is a great lynx. A 27-pound lynx is a once-in-a-lifetime monster. They got Boone Crockett Club for lynx? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> Y'all check into that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it was a once-in-a-lifetime type of hunt. And, you know, the cool thing is is that outfitter up there, he lets you bring your own hounds, too. So we weren't running his hounds. We were running Buddy's dogs. And uh, there was another buddy named James up there. We ran his dogs. And uh, we ended up getting two links overall. But, man, just the fact that I did it the first time and, and got such a huge once-in-a-lifetime links, it really produces some humility in you. Like, I didn't earn this. I mean, I, I earned it as far as I went on the experience mm. and put myself out there, but it wasn't my dogs, <laughs> you know. I didn't put in the work and the training and stuff. I benefited from someone else's work. And I think that's one of the things, too, like even when I think about hunting with outfitters and and all of this, everyone is putting something into that. Like you're paying them with something that you're good at, that you put your time into to have an experience of something. You're sharing the experience of like what they're good at and what they put their time into. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people would see like hunting with an outfitter as being like lazy or whatever. It's like you, you put something in to get this. You're trading the things that you're good at. And I think that's a healthy way to view it. Everyone is giving something. Like, nothing inside this life is free, you know. Maybe, like, you were born into money, and it's like, well, you kind of earn it because you got to put up with the people that that money came from. (laughs) It's like nothing is is free. Everybody's got to deal with stuff. I think that's a good way to view it. You, You can't be ambitious about how other people's lives are either. You know, you have to be grateful for the the way that your life is. I think a lot of times that's what a lot of negative comments come from, too, is guys are just kind of like wish, actually wishing they could do things mm-hmm. that way. But you only, like, got that thing because of blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's still cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But there's benefits to everything. You have to decide what you want your limitations to be and how you want to pursue them. And there's not... I don't think there's any type of hunting that takes more work than running hounds. It's such a, it, it, it has to be a lifestyle. And I think that you really have to admire the people that are willing to dedicate their lives to something that's so special, you know. Uh, especially these guys that are like, they come in and they, they have 30 dogs, you know, because they're trying to get a specific thing out of their line and breed for a particular thing. And not that you can't get those same attributes inside of like crossbred dog or one-off dogs or mutts or whatever it's just like to get such consistency you're trying to breed a line that has a lot of consistency not that every dog is going to make it or give you the attributes you want but it's going to be more more consistent yeah more consistent it takes a lot of knowledge that's been passed down through generations to a lot of these families and 
there's a lot of legacy tied into them, and I think it's just so cool to see those things continue on, yeah. you know, and it's a culture that is easily lost, and there's so much of a, it's an expensive buy-in, you know, mm -hmm. and if you don't have people to mentor you whenever you start out, and whenever you're doing these things, it can be really difficult to build up your pack. So it, and there's a big learning curve. Learn how to do it, yeah, and so I think that aspect of, like, being will, willing to mentor people is important, too. And to bring them alongside and, and share the things that you're good at. The great thing about hound hunting is you can take a bunch of people, you know. Yeah. You, like, I really think that hound hunting has the ability to be a greater bridge inside of the gap between a hunter and a non-hunter. Because you can take them, they can experience the hounds, and they can see something up in a tree. You know, they can see you let it go, <laughs> you know. It's the only form of catch and release hunting. Yeah. I, I really think that there's a lot that be a big part of guarding the gate like one of the biggest because you can touch a lot more people and not be if you're spotting stock hunting it's hard and they might mess up a lot of your your stuff mm -hmm. you know and hound hunting is you know you go ahead you you get the dogs working you got your garmin you're tracking it in on it you can also have them around and they can experience it in their way you know everybody can get something out of it yeah yeah for sure but historically Hound guys are really tight-knit groups and don't want to let other people... It, it can be hard to get in with some people. Yeah, so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think you have to, to be kind to everyone that you meet. Like, you, houndsmen can't afford to have a off day inside of how they respond to people or act around people. You really have to be kind to everyone and, like, you're representing a huge group. <laughs> and you can't afford to have an off day emotionally. Well, Colby, I want to thank you again for coming on today. I don't have a bite. Yeah. Well, you're welcome, man. But yeah, I want to thank you again for... Thanks for having me. For coming on and making the trip up here to hang out. Yeah. I'm baiting again tomorrow if you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a little bit cooler at least. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take care now and keep wearing out that boot leather. I just want to give everyone that's listening a sincere thank you. Getting this podcast going has been a project. I really hope you're enjoying it, and if you don't mind, give the show a good rating and review wherever you're listening to it at, or share it on your social media to help get some traction. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to your feedback. <laughs>